Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to another episode of Positively Trek. My name is Barry, and always I have my trusty co-host, Mr. Dan Gunther. How do you do today, Dan? Hey, Barry. Doing well. Really, really, really excited because, you know, I mean, what a time to be a Trekkie, right? Star Trek Picard just finished, riding the high of that. Love it. I am so excited because you and I actually got a chance to sit down and watch the finale together. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was a really wonderful way to um, to sort of finish off the series, I guess, in this case, because we aren't getting any more Picard. So there was sort of like a, a like this momentary feeling of like, well, maybe we could put this off for a while. But, you know, you and I have like jobs and stuff like that. So <laughs> there was there was a point where we were going to have to. Uh, stop and and finally watch this thing so i definitely enjoyed watching it in your company sir it was great to uh to have someone to sort of bounce thoughts off of and everything like that and um yeah what a way to end it yeah and and like you say the best trek is shared trek i think so Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> so if you have not uh, seen up to the end of season three of Star Trek Picard, I would suggest uh, checking that out first before uh, before listening any further, unless you're totally well and good with all of the spoilers, because we are not going to hold any bars, as they say. So before we get into that, we've got some really wonderful Trek news that I want to get started with here. It was something that I think maybe I was a little bit on the, I was on the fence of just because of her Oscar win, but it looks to me like Michelle Yeoh is actually going to be for surely returning to Star Trek Section 31. Yeah, this was a great announcement. Uh, Scaling back their plans for a series as it was initially kind of put forth a few years ago. But just the fact that it's happening at all, as you say, now Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh. I mean, what a get for Star Trek. I love that, you know, she has clearly enjoyed her time with Star Trek. And from some of the statements she's given, I mean, this could be media spin. It could be, you know, hyping some project you're in. But it sounds like she's genuinely excited to do Star Trek again and to return to that character. So Section 31, Paramount Plus made-for-TV movie event. That's the impression I get. And yeah, I mean, getting getting sort of that made-for-TV event is, is no problem by me. I honestly have to say uh, it's rare to go to an actual cinema these days when you can just get it on a on the TV at home uh, for the most part. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy about this and, and just think about the idea that, that this could also uh, spawn ideas for, for series in the future and, and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm really not, um, I'm, I'm not surprised and pleasantly uh, satisfied with, uh, with what we're going to get. And I'm, I'm very hopeful for that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's going to go into production later this year. So they're, they're getting going on this fairly soon by the sounds of it. Yeah. And so I think we've got, we've got lots of 
upcoming Star Trek that I think the Section 31 could even help, you know, get get kind of moving, um, you know, with with Strange New Worlds and this idea of Star Trek Academy, you know, there could be tie-ins there that we could end up seeing. Like, I do think that Section 31 can really span a lot of time and space, as it were. They mm-hmm. obviously spend time going through all of that extra sort of stuff. So I feel like in a lot of ways, maybe this movie could help sort of spawn some new directions and i think the end of picard did that too but uh, we'll get into that when the time comes yeah for sure i'm really excited to have michelle yo back and and she really brings an energy to that role as well so one question i have i i have this thing where i have to categorize stuff and i have to put things in little boxes and organize it is this star trek 14 or is this a separate category from the feature films? Like I, how, how are we categorizing this? My nerd brain wants to know. <laughs> I'm going to put this in the Ewoks battle for Endor <laughs> um, analog, okay. I guess you could yeah, say. That makes in sense. In the sense that it's going to take place in the same universe, but it might not, because it's not making it to the silver screen. I don't know if we necessarily want to call it anything more than that. And I mean, battle for Endor was a feature. It had a whole kitten caboodle to it it's just i don't think it ever made it to the theaters or if it did it was probably on an extremely limited release i i remember hitting the vhs real quick i mean it's not quite down to the depths of the holiday special though right like we're not consigning it there (laughs) i'm merely using a a term like sort of a frame of reference i um (laughs) i think that battle for endor is a great kids movie i don't think section 31 is going to necessarily be uh, something along the lines of prodigy i i think also though you know looking at michelle yo as an actor right she's an extremely physical actor i think that there's going to be a lot of movement in this there's going to be probably some stunts um, I'm always very excited to see her um, just flex her her skills because she is just a fantastic actor, both in terms of the way she can emote, but also just the way that she can kick ass <laughs> straight yeah, up. Definitely. I'm, I'm really excited for this. And the fact that she was also in the very first scene of the return of Star Trek in 2017, I'm glad we're getting more exploration of, I guess, not that character. She's playing a different character that showed up later in that season. But yeah, Michelle Yeoh, I'm, I'll am i keep saying this till the cows come home. I'm so excited to have her in Star Trek. The more, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, if there's ever a chance that I could meet her uh, oh, or get, yeah. a, get a picture with, with the, the great Michelle Yeoh, yeah, absolutely. That would be pretty freaking awesome. Well, there's more news coming down the pike, uh, you could say, um, <laughs> with uh, the Strange New Worlds Season 2 trailer popping out. So let's take a moment, and because this is a audio media, you can listen to the trailer. In the mystery and vastness of space, we come together. So many crew members from so many planets. Everyone on their own journey. Ready for some fancy flying, Erica? Oh, you know I've got this. I'm thinking it's a sign that the freckles in our eyes are mirrors. Meet James Kirk. You have an energy. What? It's making me sweat. Um, 
of myself as always alone. Not on this ship. Through great wonders and great danger, the next great age of exploration starts with us. Are you gonna say your thing? Everyone in the chair has their thing. I would like the ship to go. Now. Never seen a revolving door before. I'm from space. Right off the bat, impressions of um, of this trailer, Dan. Well, it's a it's a teaser trailer, so it's not particularly long. We we get little bits, but you know some notable moments for sure. We've got Spock drinking with Klingons who yeah. look very much like the Star Trek Three onward Klingons. It should be noted as well. We get a little bit with Erica Ortegas, who I still think is my favorite character in that show, top to bottom. I really really like her. And uh, a bit of Kirk as well. A little bit yeah. of Paul Wesley as Kirk. I appreciate the Ortega's heavy start to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she definitely stole the show in a lot of ways. And so with that, I think we've got a pretty good um, pretty good idea of how the writers are going to respond to that. So I'm excited to see a lot of Ortega's. Good to see Kirk just, you know, reprising this this new role that we uh, we got to see a little chunk of and uh, continue that going. I'm 100% here for it. And then outside of that, I think, you know, you and I have spoken, Dan, about Pike's choices and his knowledge of the future, all of these sorts of things about how we how we handle fate. I appreciate the Death Cab for Cutie song. That, <laughs> yes. Um, was sort of interesting. Um, they'll see us flying from blinding heights come downtown. I guess, no, it isn't Death Cab for Cutie. It's the other, I think it's Postal Service. The guy from Death Cab sings it. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 They're just in case we get like emails or something like that. <laughs> um, I love the ships too. I did take a cruise through, but I don't think I hit like on anything because I am technically on a social media break right now. So if I click on something, I do have people who are watching for me. So this is a, a lame excuse, but uh, <laughs> there was some cool ships that I saw. So anyways. Yeah. Good uh, Klingon D7 class in there. And uh... I, I actually have mine out. Um, oh, nice. I found I found my Eagle Moss. Uh, I don't know if it's a D7 though. It's from TMP. Mm, yeah, the Katinga, I guess, technically. That's the one. Yeah. It's very D7-ish. We also got a brief glimpse of Carol Kane's role in Strange New World. She's playing the new chief engineer, Pelia. Uh, that was yeah. kind of cool. Interesting to see her in Star Trek. That's kind of cool. Hey, why not? I'm just excited that uh, that I think, you know, although I think Jesse's still probably right that we're not going to get a hundred, 
you know, seasons or anything like that, or, you know, maybe not even like the canonical seven or at least the aspiring seven seasons. Um, it is nice to see new and different characters coming in and out, right? I think that's the other part about having it being episodic. One thing they can do is they can, characters can kind of come and go maybe a little more easily. And also, uh, we should note here that it is coming back on June 15th. That's when season two premieres. We'll, of course, I'm sure be talking about it as the episodes come out. I I really, really enjoyed season one. So I think they're going strong into season two, especially with a little bit of a cliffhanger-y type situation at the end of season one. Mm -hmm. Be interesting to see how that plays out next season. Well, moving into the last piece of news, this is something that I think... Dan and I make pretense to sometimes in the po- in the off chance that people are listening to us. Terry Metalis gives Star Trek Legacy update and Alex Kurtzman hears fans loud and clear. It says here basically that what we're looking for is, you know, kind of how the fans have wanted to see, you know, Star Trek portrayed and put forward. As far as I understand, that's what he's basically saying is he's really trying to play to the stuff we're interested in and what we are looking for, not what maybe would necessarily be sort of commercially sold. Would you get that impression of what he's trying to say, Dan? Well, yeah, like specifically, he's talking about the Star Trek legacy proposed television series, uh, Mm -hmm. which is what Terry Metalis has said he wants to do picking up off of Star Trek Picard. So his idea is that it would pick up directly after what we saw in at the end of Mm -hmm. Picard, which, you know, again, spoilers for the end of that season, we see Captain Seven of Nine of the Enterprise G with First Officer Rafi Musiker and special counselor to the captain, Jack Crusher. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With those voyages and and that sort of thing. And even that Q scene, you know, there's there's plans he has for that, that he wants to carry forward. So far, yeah, Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman, the only thing he said so far is anything is possible. We've heard the fans loud and clear. There's obviously more story to tell. So we'll see. Uh, Which, you know, might sound a little bit like he's kind of shuffling it off and not saying much about it, but that's pretty much what was said when there was the big fan push for a Pike series after discovery season two. So we're seeing a lot of that similar fan interest and a very kind of similar response from the studio. So I think it's very much within the realm of possibility that Terry Metalis might get his wish and be running this show at some point. Now, as he says, Star Trek on television is very expensive and there's a lot in production right now, but it's still possible. It it sounds hopeful, I think. Well, yeah, I think Strange New Worlds is actually the the perfect example of, you know, them writing what the fans are looking for. And I I distinctly remember you and I talking after the after we watched the finale saying that, you know, here we have at the end of Picard a crew that has a reason to be together, right? Mm. <laughs> I think is the best part of it. Like they're not just randomly there. We already have some some rapport between them. They know each other. Um, they've been through it together so they can really start and be a crew and they don't really even have to establish that getting into a season, right? All the work's done. Just give us a season and see what we can do with it kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I am pretty excited because I think that same idea was with Pike, right? We we really got a taste for him. And then, you know, well, it's off I go to the Enterprise and everyone's like, that, that can't be the end, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, 
maybe this is like you know expert writing on their part and they're 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 doing this intentionally and i mean i wouldn't necessarily be 100% surprised if that's the case but they're doing a damn good job of it and they're giving us star trek so you know what keep it up here here absolutely <laughs> And speaking of more Star Trek, one other kind of news story that came out this week that I just did want to highlight a little bit and touch on was after the announcement of Star Trek Section 31, it came out in The Hollywood Reporter uh, that sources close to the production have said that Section 31 would be the first of kind of a series of Star Trek made-for-television films as well. So it's possible that maybe even if this Star Trek legacy thing doesn't become a series, why not put Terry Metalis in charge of, you know, a couple of these made-for-TV films where they explore legacy characters? Because that's one of the goals that he has is, you know, through the Enterprise and this younger crew bring on more legacy characters like he's talked at length about chief o'brien and saying he really wants to do something with him how about a chief o'brien paramount plus movie event whatever they're calling that that would be great set it in ireland and cole meany doesn't even have to leave right like <laughs> honestly absolutely uh <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'd love to see an o'brien sort of centric TV movie sort of thing where, you know, we kind of see where he picked up, you know, if, if he and uh, Julian got married or whatnot, you know, all those things. Sorry, that was supposed to elicit humor, but no, maybe, no, maybe. totally <laughs> did. Um, I'm, I'm just the bromance. The I, bromance. I was more thinking about Garrick in the sidelines, raising his brow and, and either wanting a part of that or being jealous or something. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose Julian, Julian courted many and, uh, and was quite, and was quite the charmer. Totally. Uh, kind of along that vein. Have you seen this meme? And it's, it's an older one. So it might've been from well before your so social media break, but it was, uh, basically Keiko, like introducing somebody to deep space nine or something. And they're like, oh, that's my husband, Miles. That's his boyfriend, Julian. That's his <laughs> boyfriend, Garrick. And this is our, uh, live in partner, Kira. <laughs> and, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then Cisco walks by. That's our daddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's space dad. <laughs> yeah. I love Deep Space Nine so much. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No. And, and you're right. Those relationships do sort of take on those kinds of bents. And again, you know, there is a, a, a bit of a, and maybe we're jumping too much into Picard here and we need to have our break and then start talking about Picard because now we're, we are just sort of getting into it because I'm thinking like, yeah, Star Trek Legacy. My one question about that is um, I, I do believe the captain and the first mate might be able to share quarters well they they were in a relationship uh it mm -hmm. seems to have broken off at some point but they seemed at least professionally friendly in that final episode so perhaps fences can and have been mended i don't know i just feel from an administrative perspective <laughs> that is a conflict of interest on an extreme level but i mean you know whatever mariner's mom captains the ship she's on so i mean starfleet's a little uh <laughs> a little wonky in that respect so yeah i i mean the closest we might have come is janeway chakotay and they never quite pulled the trigger on that so yeah i don't know no well i suppose we'll just have to find out indeed well i I certainly hope we do get to find out and uh, I'm, I'm maintaining that little spark of a flame of hope to mix my metaphors. <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, I'm, I'm actually 
pretty stoked. Like getting to hear about Michelle Yeoh definitely coming back. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure they would have loved her for a series, but getting a movie, I'm p- totally happy with that. And they can use it, right? There's that 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 can be a storytelling tool to kind of keep things going. Yeah, the fact that we've got more Strange New Worlds coming, the fact that we've got all this extra trek that's you know coming through and and being put through the works. I mean, yeah, here's basically I would say this is kind of like wave two is beginning, mm-hmm. right? Wave wave one has kind of come to an end, and now we're into wave two. Yeah, it definitely does have that feel to it for sure. I think after this short break, we can uh, get on to our main topic. What do you say? Sounds great to me. Let's do it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes and more again that's patreon.com slash positively trek thank you all and live long and prosper and we're back with the star trek picard season three wrap-up what um dan would you say was your favorite class of ship oh that was firing phasers (laughs) at uh (laughs) at space dock which uh what was your what was your favorite class of ship that was trying to obliterate earth's defenses oh what a what a dark question but i like it um I mean, the Odyssey class is big and impressive. The Enterprise F, that that class, there were a few of those there. But I think for me, it was when I caught a glimpse of what I believe is the Pathfinder class, ah. which is which we saw on screen in an earlier episode as the Voyager B, apparently, according to the little label. That was pretty cool, just because that was one that I hadn't really seen before. People who play Star Trek Online will be familiar with it, but I'm, I'm not really, because it's one of those borrowed designs. So that was pretty cool. I was excited to see that. Yeah. How about you? Well, um, and now I'm trying to remember exactly now, is the Pathfinder class the other one made by Bill Krauss, the one that kind of looks like a hornet? Uh, no, that one's Duderstadt class. That's the Intrepid oh, okay. from... Uh... Okay, yeah, I got my Intrepids and my Voyagers. <laughs> Understandable, <laughs> <Got> my... <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they're both like, oh, okay. No, cool. the Pathfinder's okay. like, it's got like a Voyager-style arrowhead. And, oh, that one. And yeah, then yeah. like kind of underslung warp nacelles instead of straight out and kind of yes. longer and sleeker. 
Yes. No, I, I've got you now. Um, probably my favorite, uh, and it's just basically thinking about the kind of ship that I would want to travel around in the most, um, would probably be the Defiant class. Mm, I liked seeing, mm-hmm. seeing those ones down there. Uh, basically just something, something like, I don't know. I, I whenever I think of Defiant classes, I always think of ones with cloaking systems and I know that there was only one with that, <laughs> but, um, it would be nice to just travel in space in a nice little motorhome with, uh, face cannons. Yeah. I, you know, the Defiant has always been a favorite of mine. I don't quite know about the bunk beds, but I feel like I could get used to it. I would. And I like the Spartan style to it. it there's, um, there's a bit of a, a you can kind of see where the expanse got some of its, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of cramped style from not saying completely. They, they definitely like pick theirs from like actual spaceships and stuff like that too. But I feel like the Defiant kind of pulled that too. It sort of feels like a submarine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. With that, I mean, just the the first question to kind of break the ice on everything. How are you feeling about the the short Star Trek season run that was uh, Picard in in total? Are you feel how do you feel about just sort of the way this has all kind of come to a come to a, a an end? Well, it definitely ticked a lot of boxes. Which I I mean, their their mission statement I think was to do that. Uh, it's interesting given the the way Star Trek Picard was introduced to us with Patrick Stewart saying kind of the one thing he didn't want to do was just a reunion show that brought back like the greatest hits. And I think after two seasons with kind of mixed responses, I generally enjoyed them. I have some issues with season two, especially, but I, I think after that, they kind of said, okay, we're going to do this instead and it may have it seems to have maybe been the right choice i mean there's all of the the legacy stuff that makes you go oh wow i remember this i remember that but i think there was a pretty good solid story underpinning it all which i'm glad that was there because if it was just the the memories and stuff and that was it i think it would feel more fluffy but yeah, I f- feel like there's a strong enough story arc there that I'm on board watching it as its own thing with, you know, a bunch of member berries sprinkled throughout to enjoy as well. That's a that's a good way of putting it. And I would agree with you for the most part with one little like maybe in addition to there was a lot more or I guess a lot more, a lot less taking itself seriously that season three did as opposed to all the rest. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that really, I don't know for what reason specifically, but it really did something for me to really relax me and get me into the story a lot better. There was a lot more banter. And, and I mean, to, to be honest, there was a little bit of star Wars homage here and there. And I don't know if that was, ironic or 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 not um it, it winds up being ironic but um in that respect i just feel that they they had a bit more chemistry and flow to this series and it felt like the story kind of had that straight line like you said yes it is just chock a block with member berries there it's an orchard of member berries a vineyard if you will of <laughs> me, of member berries and they don't get in the way of an actual story that's compelling Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing that I appreciate a lot about the season, and I've said this a lot of times in other places, I think even on this podcast previously, was that they 
took these characters seriously and treated them like real characters who have lived for a few decades since mm-hmm. the last time we really saw them. Riker, for example, and I've used this this one a lot, has been a bereaved father for longer than we saw him as first officer of the Enterprise. And yes. it felt to me that that was used in this, you know, like there's times where he kind of is his jokey old self and is poking fun at Worf a little bit and two old warriors poking fun mm-hmm. at each other kind of thing. But there is more behind it than just that. There was, there was all of the years that he's been married to Deanna and all of the, the things that he's gone through were there in every scene as well. And I really appreciated that. And I, th- I think a lot of fans, initially when Riker was doing certain things in particular episodes, we're saying this doesn't feel like Riker. This doesn't feel like him. Why is that? Well, it's because he's changed and grown over the years. And they did that with so many characters, you know, Beverly, of course, has gone through all of this Worf with his whole being a warrior for peace, which is one of my favorite turns of phrase in the whole season. When Rafi calls him that, in the final episode, uh, man. Okay. Worf was just a delight this whole season. Easily one of my favorite things from Picard season three. Yeah, he, he truly was. He, he, he brought that whole secondary storyline, um, together quite nicely, I find. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and Michael Dorn again, um, deciding the fate of the criminal underworld of another planet, um, (laughs) with, (laughs) with, uh, with Klingon prowess. But one thing I was going to say, just to kind of go back to what you were saying about Riker. And I think what, what you're kind of getting at is I think Patrick Stewart, you know, when in, and, and the funny part of him being like, you know, we're not just going to do this big reunion, yada, yada. I think they managed to do the reunion, but they did it in the right way by mm-hmm. showing people who had fundamentally changed since the last time you saw them, because who wouldn't? It's been 35 years, right? Yeah. So in that in that period of time, you know, we've got people who have been affected by contexts that we as fans aren't familiar with and getting to do it in that respect gives us what we're looking for without as much pantomiming i guess maybe uh, it, it there wasn't it didn't feel forced right the chemistry was there you could see like you said Riker just getting a total kick out of stuff that came out of Worf's mouth <laughs> um you know those those kinds of pieces you can you could pick up on why uh, Crusher, uh, Dr. Crusher, that is, was able to do such an amazing like array of attack on the Borg cube as they're finding their way around uh, from getting hit from it. And they like look back and she's like, well, duh, like I've been smuggling things with my son for the last little while here, right? I've changed. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. It's important to to get to see that and getting to see Picard from one side to the other, from being in the room when Sir Patrick Stewart said, you know, Jean-Luc Picard is, is back. Yeah. Um, all the way to the very, very end. Um, that's pretty awesome. I'm pretty, pretty excited to have seen this kind of come full circle. And I don't mind the smaller season. It's, it's okay. Um, it doesn't need to be stretched out longer than it needs to. That's one thing I like about UK TV is they do shorter runs sometimes mm-hmm. and that makes all the difference. Yeah, for sure. To kind of circle back to some of the talk about the characters as well. I like the fact that the showrunners and the writers treated the audience with enough respect that 
it was mostly for the most part shown, not told, right? Like Mm -hmm. we kind of were expected to realize that these characters had changed and what they'd gone through rather than having it kind of spoon fed to us and beaten, beaten over the head and explained kind of thing. Right. Like with some exceptions, like with Crusher's character, that kind of had to be, there had to be some exposition and stuff because of what they chose to do and have her leave the crew behind for 20 years kind of thing. But like with Jordy, I think they did an amazing job of showing a father who's terrified to lose his daughters and, you know, have one of his daughters get in his face and say, no, you taught me that you give everything for your family and your crew is your family. One, one little moment in that discussion between Jordy and uh, Sydney that I loved was when, you know, he says, you're going to stay here on the station with me. We're going to say that you were an unwilling participant and she absolutely refuses. And Jordy says, Starfleet will handle this. And Sydney says, I'm Starfleet. <laughs> I love that line. That's one of my favorite lines. And I mean, there, therein lies sort of like the, 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 the political message of what's being brought up, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is that we really should stop looking to someone else to deal with stuff. We, we do have to actually step up and stand up for our, the people we're with, right? What's, what's more important. And so I do appreciate those bits of, you know, the game, the kind of the moral essence of what Star Trek is trying to teach. I think the other piece of that, uh, in the way characterization looks is Picard again, very much sort of moves into the sum of his parts, right? It's called Star Trek Picard. He is the main character, but you don't see him necessarily lording over people and doing those I'm in charge kind of things, right? Always how he has been sort of a captain uh, with with many in his support. Many spokes of power come out of Jean-Luc Picard in different ways and in different manners. And you think about how you've got this group of people, old and young, right? From different generations, pun intended, of of the Star Trek genre, brand new, kind of from that mid-range, all that sort of stuff coming together and working as one with a singular idea and plan. And I really like how well that piece of the storyline was held on to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they, I, they sold it as a crew uh, to me in, in a very real way. The only thing that kind of made me raise an eyebrow and I know ships can be can be piloted simply from the bridge without anything else you know a very Spartan ship I feel shouldn't be able to take too many hits because it doesn't have a crew to do those active repairs Mm -hmm. on it right it'd be like if you were if you were um, sailing a tall ship with eight people, right? You get two cannon shots. Four people are no longer going to be available anymore because they're going to be un- below decks trying to keep things from sinking. Right. Yeah. How many times in Star Trek do we hear damage control teams report to deck 16 or whatever? Yeah, uh, exactly. They, they don't got those. <laughs> no, no. It's it's a bunch of people who are in their 60s, mm-hmm. which, you know, spry as, as some of them are and, and actually older than 60s in some cases as well. Um, they're not going to be able to get down there like i thought jordy would be like i'm gonna go down to engineering (laughs) you know like but but no of course he he would he would just be able to run it from the bridge but it does make you feel like why do these ships need to be so big if (laughs) if this is the case but i understand i mean there is kind of a for the sake of storytelling part of it and also it's not like they take too much damage with uh i mean obviously 
Titan slash Enterprise G, notwithstanding. That thing takes a licking, but mm-hmm. uh, anyways. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking, apparently. It sure does. <laughs> and they have to destroy. You know what also really breaks my heart is they just destroyed another warp drive that was in Starfleet's possession. Because that was the bounty, right? Oh, the the cloaking device. Yeah. 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 What did I call it? Warp drive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Sorry. My brain stopped working for a minute there. <laughs> yeah. No, another one bites the dust there. That's, uh, that's Jordy. I wonder, I didn't see Jordy's face when he found that out. So that was. <laughs> one of my favorite bits from earlier in the season was when the Titan starts to cloak and Jordy yells, you stole my cloaking device from my bird of prey. <laughs> right. The fact that he's so possessive <laughs> over those ships yeah. at the yeah. museum. That was fun. <laughs> I love it. Oh. That, that was great too. I mean, the starship gratuity that, that we mm-hmm. got of all the different types of starships um, you know, some nice callbacks and then obviously with the Titan, um, being, being debuted and then, and then made to the enterprise G, uh, it is just really lovely to see. I, I love the, the sort of the neo constitutional style. It even makes that little point noise every now and again, <laughs> which is really cool. I do have to say, I fell in love with that ship. It's still not my absolute favorite of the sort of Jeffrey's style um, Starfleet ship, but, uh, it's, it's definitely up there. So what are your thoughts on the Titan becoming the Enterprise G? Because I'm seeing online and again, probably should be glad that you're taking the social media <laughs> break, but I'm seeing some polarization online as to thoughts about that. Is that ship worthy of being an Enterprise, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? <sighs> Those are my <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> Can we just can we just like like things can we just like them i just want to like things right? because it's nice and it's it's it, like bill Crow's designed a fine looking ship mm-hmm. and it 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 has a lot of callbacks to it um it's it's i like to think of it as like like if your memory kit bashed a ship right mm-hmm. um and smoothed it all the lines uh, gave it some of its own character. And that's the other piece too, is the ship need, now needs to develop its own character. And I mean, I can see it looks, you know, there's some Discovery-esque style set work and stuff like that. And there might just be because designers are the same people when they go from, you know, from show to show or whatever. And there's only so much you can do to to sort of futurize a hallway. But um, <laughs> I mean, if you think about the bridge, I like a lighter bridge nowadays. That's just kind of my brain and kind of where I'm at. But dark bridge whatever it's fine it looks nice the the ship the ship's got nice lines on it it would look good in an episodic or sort of storyline based series i would never grow tired of seeing it right Mm -hmm. so if there are people who have a stick in their craw over this i mean i don't know the f was a pretty ship as well and as you rightly mentioned dan like it was a it was a fan designed ship too right Mm mm-hmm yeah, so that's pretty great. Bill Krause is a fan, so he's yeah. also he's also an expert designer of starships. So much love to him, and I'm, I'm stoked to see one of his ships with the name Enterprise on it. He deserves it. The guy does a lot of hard work. 100%, absolutely. The one thing that I hope, if they do go forward with the Star Trek Legacy series and we see this ship again, I want Seven to walk under the bridge and notice a little switch by the door and be like, what does this do? Click and the lights come on. That would be great. But <laughs> <laughs> right? Other other than that, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
No, I, I, you know, I honestly love the decision to make this the Enterprise G. I've kind of come up with a bit of a response. Somebody was saying like, you know, oh, it's a, it's a fun little ship, but you know, is it worthy of being an Enterprise? And my new answer to that is every other Starship Enterprise was just given the name. This ship earned it. Yeah. <laughs> this is go. the first Enterprise to earn the name. Yeah. So I love it. <laughs> it gets the name Enterprise because it took on the whole damn fleet. Yeah. And won. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you are like, I don't know, that, that seems sort of like sort of chaotic politics of like the one that punched you the hardest is now the boss. But I mean, to some degree, <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. Um, A little bit. Yeah. Maybe it's the Enterprise G and the flagship because they don't have many left. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, Starfleet's going through another overhaul here. And actually, that brings me to my next question. What are your thoughts on how they organize the villainy of this uh, season with our sort of initial changeling kind of ooh ah sort of threat with, in my eyes, a extreme sudden left turn to the Borg? Yeah, there there is that aspect of it and some of it seems a little bit like uh oh what was it somebody commented that crusher's line uh the changelings and the borg have been working together all along is like this season of star trek's somehow palpatine returned line <laughs> like yeah it, it felt a little clunky and i kind of get that that said i loved amanda Plummer as vadic and i would not trade that for the world i think maybe if it had been a bit of a smoother transition more towards the middle of the season where you see that they're working together, but you don't exactly know why or something like that. I feel like dropping that revelation in the second last episode and then that's, you know, they have to resolve that in just the last episode kind of thing that might've contributed to the little bit of a, you know, record scratch moment. Right. But mm -hmm. I, the explanation worked for me, but I do wish it had been a little bit more balanced through the season, I guess. Yeah, I found the shift and, and the word that keeps coming to mind. And this has been a bit of a symptom with some of the Star Trek writing. And this is definitely like a criticism I have. But I mean, it's not going to stop me from watching or loving what I'm seeing. But uh, where I would say is it just seems that it gets a little hectic sometimes where mm. they're just cramming as much as they possibly can into the story. And it's like you know, you guys can slow her down a bit and, and stick to kind of the one singular story. Like it, it just, the level of intensity, right. Moving to that moment of climax, I feel in that storytelling was, it was almost like a sheer, like we were going up like a rocket, you know, I guess starship puns intended here, but mm -hmm. um, it really, it really got to a point, I think at, in that last episode where there was just so much happening that it was it was almost kind of hard to process for a minute and it was kind of like i was still processing that now changelings aren't really even considered much of a threat at this point we're just purely focused on the borg it just yeah it was a little hectic and and, and a bit jarring in that respect but the setup to this story the first the first side of the season was a freaking masterpiece of storytelling and I enjoyed it right to the very end. But yeah, that would be my only thing is, you know, seeing Amanda Plummer 
uh, and and her acting and what she was bringing to the table when when we first started out in this i really enjoyed that that really got me um but yeah i found that just the villainy at the end there with the borg suddenly shifting it did get a little like whoa like that's a lot of stuff that that kind of happened at once but maybe i'm yeah. babbling now no i and and i i agree with with your points there and i mean i'm not a television writer by any stretch of the imagination no. but i i have to wonder what this season would look like if, you know, for example, episode seven and eight both had the same cliffhanger, which was what is Jack? What's behind this door? What's going on with him? And like, what if episode seven or eight had answered that question with, you know, opening that door and it's the Borg and right. we're like, okay, well, how does that make sense? How does that fit in? We don't know. Let's spend some time trying to figure this out and, and work that problem rather than, like I said, just having it dropped on us in episode nine and then episode 10 to resolve it, right? So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not a writer though, so maybe that would be horrible. I don't know, but... Give me time to process is what I'm saying is I just didn't have enough time to make that shift. I'd really kind of gotten into my, okay, it's the changelings and that's a really kind of neat analog. But, you know, I mean, it made sense also though with with Jack having certain um, connections through um, his father. I mean, that mm -hmm. also has for me wildly disturbing implications for anybody else who was rescued from, from being assimilated, who then went on to start a family. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. There, there right. are some implications there. For sure. I mean, there were a lot of XBs, right. In season one right? on that Borg cube that are on that planet, presumably where they crashed the Borg cube and are living their lives now. What happened to them during all this? I'm just now thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my. And maybe that's it, is this was three seasons, but I feel like they could have gotten 10 with all of the story elements that they that they added to it, right? Like, Sir Pat's an, an old man, but boy, they put him to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing I noticed about that, just uh, as a little side note, like he's, he's getting up there. Right. And I mean, I, I don't think it's impolitic of me to say that he's showing his age quite a bit, but when he got on the bridge of the enterprise D and hmm. I, I almost wonder if this was a conscious decision in how he played the role, boy, did he ever just seem to have like a, a shot in the arm of something because he seemed a lot more spry and vital during all of that. I, I really appreciated that. And I mean, that's not, I, we all get old, we all get older, right? And we all show it in various ways. But again, I don't know if that was a choice or if that was just being on that set, but he seemed to be, you know, really uh, bringing his game there. I completely agree and know where you're coming from in that respect. That has sort of kind of come up even in the storytelling of Picard of, of age and, and aging and, and time and everything like that. But you're right, when they got on the D, there was a bit of a feel. I could see that in Brent Spiner, obviously his little smiley face uh, <laughs> earlier as well, uh, while he was piloting through the, the Borg cube and stuff like that. Seeing them back there, and I even seeing like them using the old graphics and stuff like that, uh, the old sounds, everything, it was... It was satisfying to see, and I mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it. And I mean, like here, I sort of have a, a maybe sort of like an apologetic tone or something of like, yeah, I, I like that. But you know what? <laughs> Unapologetically speaking, this is what I've wanted to see for a really long time. 
And I'm super excited as well after asking you, Dan, that you think, or at least you're, you have it under reasonable authority that that set is in storage somewhere. Mm-hmm. I have heard that there were parties interested in keeping it intact. So I don't know if that means they sold it for a good sum of money to someone for some reason or what. I haven't looked into that further, but uh, I have been, I have read that it has not been dismantled. That makes me happy to hear. So with that, when we look at what we're left with, we're left with a dynamic crew. Uh, we've sort of talked about the the what looks to be something of the officer class, Ensign included, I guess, in this respect. I, I don't know why they didn't give Jack a higher commission. Um, he did involve himself in the rescuing of the everything. I did see someone argue that... Uh, and and I don't buy this argument, but someone was saying like, he willingly went to the Borg and almost killed everybody. <laughs> like, why are they giving him a commission? I would dispute the, the term willingly there, but uh, I, I wonder if there's, I wonder if that might be something they explore, some resentment against him by certain parties. I mean, we certainly see that with Locutus, right? Well, he wolf 359 things a fair bit uh, in that yeah. respect. But then I would say that pretty much an entire generation of Starfleet cadets and junior officers are now facing that same sort of black pall over their their reputation right that's very true yeah i hadn't thought of that but yeah that makes sense which also kind of brings that back that idea of like the unified vision and the idea that to some degree we're all pushing the phasers against this and that and the other thing in in how we act and and whatnot right there is a bit of a a bit of a analogy we can take with that in the sense that we all have a part to play and we all can also have a part in doing the damage, right? Or mm-hmm. in, And maybe even in certain cases, we all maybe have a bit of that damage, especially here in sort of Western Western society and stuff like that, with you think about like consumption and pollution and um, taking from the global south and whatnot. Maybe I'm overreading it. I, I don't think so, because like we were saying earlier with, um, for example, Jordy's mindset and stuff of, of sitting back and letting others take care of it. I feel like, there's definitely uh, an audience being spoken to there and and we're a part of that audience being where we live and how we live and that sort of thing. Definitely, even if that message wasn't intended, I think it's a really good one to read into that for sure. Mm -hmm. The the idea that Starfleet will take care of this and I'm Starfleet. We're Starfleet. We're all, we're all part of this society. The government isn't, you know, we can't just say, oh, they'll, the people people in charge will take care of it. We put people in charge. We take people out of charge. You know, like mm-hmm. we're the buck should stop at each and every one of us. So. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and and I'm also wondering, and, and we've talked about this maybe in in certain cases uh, as maybe a criticism of Star Trek storytelling of the um, the call is coming from within. Sort of Starfleet's been compromised story. Um, and the idea that Star Trek is, of course, an internal reflection of modern society through science fiction. And maybe the problem with them having to tell the same story over again is we haven't learned the damn lesson yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, there's definitely some truth to that, for sure. <laughs> so with that, I wonder what are your biggest highlights from the series or from the season? Let's just stick with season three. What are your biggest highlights from season three? that um, you just particularly enjoyed? Give me like a top three. 
Okay. Well, I mean, I think my first big highlight from the season has to be the episode No Win Scenario, which was where the Titan initially escapes the nebula and gets away from Vatic. Uh, the whole character of Riker in that story and what he goes through and the turn that he makes at the end, like he's given up, he's decided to die. And it's his old crew back together that convinces him that there's another way out. Topped off with a very Star Trek ending with the nebula being like this birthplace of these little space squid things or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I just had such a feeling of Star Trekiness through that episode. Like that felt really good. Directed, of course, by Jonathan Frakes as well. It yeah. should be noted that episode. So that's a top one for me. Can I get four? Because the final episode I think is a given. That's just all of that. Like I, I, and, and kind of that same apologetic tone you had, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I, I really liked that. I, <laughs> I kind of shouldn't really like that, but I really did. Yeah. But the other two, I would say the return of Roe in imposters, yeah. Michelle Forbes, just going toe to toe acting with Patrick Stewart, mm -hmm. that scene where they figure out that each other aren't changelings because they're both able to hurt each other. Yeah. That was so powerful and then uh and then the episode the bounty which for many many reasons the starfleet museum was fun we get data back we get that great incredible scene between Jordy and his daughter that i've referenced a few times already i i love that episode i think the the themes of that episode just really get to me no i agree that's that's a good uh that's a good run now now here i'm like oh come on i think that's like three episodes in a row too. I think that's no win scenario imposters in the bounty. I think those are three right in a row. Actually. Yeah. That thinking about it. That's a hundred percent. No, they, they wrote a good story. Um, and they wrote some really good characters. I have to say my number one notable of the series for me, uh, or for the season, sorry, would be Shaw. Um, yes, I, I loved his, you know, he, he wasn't, he wasn't impressed by 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 the royalty in front of him and i loved his in his indignance but also his commitment to his crew and and mm -hmm. that was really important for me to see um i love the fact that he really drove a lot of that self-deprecating or like kind of self-aware style that this season had i still go back to when seven and him were having their like we'll trek the trek and then we can trek the trek and tech the tech and we'll tech the tech um and then as she's as she's you know scooting off to go do that thing he just goes whatever <laughs> <And> <laughs> i don't know there was there's just something about him that um, that really spoke to me and i i sincerely appreciated his his role i am not happy about his demise but obviously it's part of storytelling. Come on, get over it. It's fine. Um, we'll, we'll either get another Shaw like character one of these days, um, or they'll bring him back. I mean, one way or another, right? Well, okay. I've got a couple things to say about that. First of all, 100% agree with regards to Shaw. This was a captain of a ship who had a badmiral come on board yeah. under false pretenses, much like happened to Picard many times in TNG. Mm -hmm. And, I kind of almost wish that Picard had that moment of realization at some point. It's like, oh, I'm the Badmiral. <laughs> Look. <laughs> let's let's canonize the term Badmiral here. <laughs> exactly, right? So yeah, A, loved, loved, loved Shaw. B, I'm going to be a little bit stronger with the, the creators of this show than you were. I think they did Shaw dirty, 
personally. Mm. Just a little bit. And and there's one line that just breaks my heart during his death scene. And that's when he says, it's not my ship anymore. And mm. and he goes on to say, it's yours. And that in that way, he's turning over command to seven. But in that moment, it's not my ship anymore. What my mind flashed back to is like the previous two episodes where all these TNG legacy characters have come on board his ship and are having meetings in the observation lounge. And Shaw is there, but he's sitting at the back, just kind of like nodding every once in a while. And I'm like, man, it really isn't his ship anymore. That's really sad. They just kind of squeezed him out. And then, yeah, I'm I'm really sad that he died for sure. I, yeah, I guess like I'm just not going to trouble myself with it in the sense that, yeah, the, the characters get done dirty in, in different TV shows and stuff like that. I think your observation, though, that it wasn't his ship much sooner than he made that statement. I think that's extremely poignant. And thinking about his character a little more deeply, I think you that's probably the the intention of his statement in some in some ways um he he did he did manage to tell like it is so shaw is definitely you know and and maybe it's i think this was very a character driven story that i have to give the next one to amanda Plummer and just how eccentric weird and Mm -hmm. scary she was she she sort of takes the the role of vassalage interestingly well uh in the sense that you see her go from this sort of like personality of of hunter and uh scary kind of pursuer and all this sort of stuff to you know suddenly becoming extremely subservient and, you know, to the point of you can tell in the back of her head being like, what I'm being asked to do is wildly reckless. What I'm being asked to do is wildly reckless. Um, yeah. But she goes ahead with it and stuff like that. Um, she really carried a lot of that. So much like Shaw came in carrying things well, well acted, well, well believable written story uh, or well written character in the storyline. I think uh, Vatic does that really well too. So that was probably my number two. Yeah, 100% agree on Vatic as well. She was a delight to watch for sure. I also like that they gave Rafi a lot more to do um, mm-hmm. in this. And she also got to have sort of an exclusive um, sort of interface with Worf on a couple of different ways. And the reason why I say interface is obviously we don't know it's Worf for a while um, and whatnot. But I, I really do appreciate that they gave Rafi a lot more to go through. And if you think about Rafi's arc through Star Trek Picard, that's a really great arc that's maybe a little unsung through the entire series itself. And that would actually be a reason for me to rewatch it is I really like Rafi's story and I hope they do more with her character. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see her character return maybe in this Star Trek legacy thing. Like I think she'd make a great first officer. Uh, One quick little jump back to Shaw for just a second, because I've said on record before that, like, I want them to bring him back. I don't care if it's (laughs) contrived. I don't care if it's ridiculous. If they if they have Poe come out and say somehow Shaw returned, I'd be okay with that. (laughs) Now, interestingly, speaking of Star Trek legacy, Terry Metalis has said in this interview with SFX magazine, we do have plans for a Shaw character, specifically Todd Stashwick, to be a part of legacy. So I think he's realized that people love the guy and, and, you know, even if it's contrived, he's going to bring him back. They stamitzed our Shaw. (laughs) 
Exactly. <laughs> now, I, you know, I hope it's not a mirror double or something like that, but, you know. Or the, yeah, they George our show, like whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The newer Trek shows are definitely good at, at, at knocking off the wrong favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for them to bring back Hammer somehow because people loved him so much too, right? So. I was think I was thinking about that the 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 larger missing piece of that, and and there is definitely going to be a hammer shaped hole in uh, in Strange New Worlds this this season. You know, we may as well bring everybody back if you can. So just have Let's a huge it. reunion, right? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, um, and and you know, pushing this idea that I really saw a lot of character driven stuff in in season three of star trek picard and maybe that's a criticism i have of the first two is the first two weren't quite as character driven as i would have liked to see them and maybe that's a disputable statement but that's where i'm gonna sort of rest myself in that that um yeah the self the 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 self-awareness of the show the the reunion and and the reunion on the terms of you know these are actually different people they're not the same their faces are are the same but they're different people talking about age is something that you know you and i can now sort of reflect on being i suppose we are in that land called middle age now would you say or or, or... you bite your te- no you're right you're absolutely right <laughs> well at least we're, at least we're going together right water's fine yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean there's a lot for us to reflect on in this and i think there's a lot left for us to hope for um i want to ask dan what are what are some of the biggest um takeaways from this this whole thing that was Star Trek Picard for you and what do you think we can we can see come from the experience that was Star Trek Star Trek Picard well in some ways I have to say I'm feeling a little similar about this as I do to the response to Strange New Worlds like I loved this I really enjoyed it and I know a lot of other people did too what I'm hoping is that the right lessons are learned from this and not the wrong ones. I think like with Strange New Worlds, I kind of worry that the lesson that someone might take away is play it safe, bring back legacy characters, show people what we've seen before again and again and again and again, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. And again, that that kind of links back to why I feel a little embarrassed about how much I love this, right? And I did love this, but I think it's important for Star Trek to take risks. And I think it's important to look at this and kind of recognize that they did take risks. The thing that I think people should focus on is something that I mentioned earlier, which is, yes, they brought back these legacy characters, but they changed them. They grew them. They pushed them in new and different directions, maybe right out of the comfort zone of some people. But that's a good thing. I think that's the lesson here is smart storytelling that's character driven. You can have familiar faces and and the member berries stuff, but grounded in good storytelling that advances things rather than just taking your toys and then putting them back on the shelf exactly the way they were when you took them out kind of thing. So that would be my takeaway here. And especially, you know, if by some miracle the future showrunners of Star Trek Legacy are listening, I really hope that's the the takeaway that they get here. Well said and, and much to consider. And I mean, I echo 
uh, a fair bit of that to kind of sort of parallel what you're talking about in terms of not taking the safe bet. I think also what Picard teaches us sort of as fans and I hope has taught a lot of the writers to look at is sometimes you've got to make it up as you go along and sometimes you have to rely on what really drives a story and what really drives a story isn't always like the super high concept this that and the other thing sometimes it is a extremely not bonk bonk on the head nod to the wrath of Khan with very strongly written characters with extremely talented actors driving the plot and then all of the member berries and all of the cool special effects add to that larger piece of the story if that makes Mm -hmm. sense and so i think that's what picard did extremely well as it found its way to season three and i think we needed season one and two to get season three because it did try to do its own thing and it kind of flopped um in a lot of ways season two took us in similar but different directions but again didn't fully mesh for me in a lot of ways and so you know third time's a charm i don't know what we want to say but it doesn't mean that the first two seasons are unwatchable, but it does give us, I think, a culmination point. And so with that, I think the best part about Star Trek is I feel I see, we can almost see it work in kind of laboratory conditions. There is a science to all of this, and it's sort of finding what the fans are after as to what's also accessible and what will actually get a the, the thumbs up from a network, right? You are threading quite the needle when, when you're doing that, and I think they're doing a fairly good job of it. Yeah, Man, I'm I'm excited. I'm nervous and excited to see where they go next. And I think it would be a mistake not to do something with this era, with this concept. I don't know exactly what it'll be. The uh, the producers, the creators of these shows have done a good job of surprising me and going in different directions. I remember when they announced that Pike would lead a show. Everyone was so excited. I was a little not as excited as everybody else because I was a little worried about them doing, you know, standalone episodes, playing it safe, uh, getting really, really close to that dreaded C word of canon. You know, you know, people were worried about that with Discovery. Now we're even closer to it with Strange New Worlds. Why aren't people sounding those same alarms, but they knocked it out of the park with Strange New Worlds. I think they did a wonderful job. I think they did a wonderful job with this show. And that fills me with hope that if Star Trek Legacy or something like it goes forward, they would similarly surprise me with where they decide to go with it. I I get a very second star to the right and straight on till morning kind of feel uh, to the end of all this in a lot of ways. Mm, except we don't get to hear what seven says to set the ship off on its course we need to find that out if for nothing else they need to bring it back so you can see that we really just need that crew running a series next right (laughs) jerry ryan at the helm i'm already in whole hog right yeah um what a great actor to get carry to get to carry um a, uh, like an ensemble first yeah. of all so there and yeah there's there's enough little little hooks that they've left in all of this that if they don't take a swing at making this into a series i don't know what they're doing <laughs> right mm. they'd better yeah my nomination by the way for her phrase is fun will now commence <laughs> oh my I'm, I'm that's a good question like engage no yeah i don't know i've seen a lot of people suggesting also comply 
which I it, it fits. <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll have to think about that. Which uh, and then and maybe that's another one is uh, for the next episode where where we do here. Let's see what would your warp uh, going to warp command be. I like it. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to think on that one for a bit. I already, I, I already think I know what mine is. But anyways, it would be, it would be a let's go in another language. I don't know which one. Hmm. Ikimasho, vamanos. <laughs> uh, I might just go full Doctor Who and say allons-y. <laughs> hey, there you go. Nice one. Well, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on the Positively Trek Facebook page, where you can tell us what your commence warp speed that that that's mine for. Um, for seven of nine commence warp speed (laughs) (laughs) that's good or just commence commence is good i still like captain freeman's from lower decks warp me that's that's great (laughs) (laughs) i still liked um what's his face oh geez everything's fallen out of my head um he just says go oh Lorca. yeah yeah Lorca. there we go yeah go (laughs) dal was good on prodigy to go fast yeah go fast (laughs) well we're gonna get stuck doing this now so again you can find us on uh on on positively trek's uh facebook page where dan is there often and i float around as if one of those guys on the muppets who's up on the balcony um heckling you all (laughs) quietly and not being able to be heard so uh We'll uh, we'll just keep those rolls going. And until next time, stay positive. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24.